Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, and I am the dream business coach. I have a fantastic interview for you today. Derek Van Ness is my guest from Salt Lake City. He is a wealth strategist who is passionate about helping people reach their full potential. His company is called Big Life Financial, which is a great name, focused on removing the mystery and misinformation surrounding money and financial strategy so people can live their biggest life. Derek believes that each person has something unique and value to contribute to the world, but that most people are never able to express that gift due to fear, doubt, and worry related to money. A lot of people got money concerns. His mission is to eradicate that fear and fundamentally change the way people think about money and utilize their money within the next generation. Derek's company can help anyone, but is specifically focused on small business owners, which is why I'm excited to have him on Dream Business Radio. And he has also helped thousands of people uh, create financial certainty and confidence. He's a straight shooter, so I think we're going to get some good information. I will tell you, in his free time, he loves racing sailboats. So I don't know, in, in my world, I don't know if I would consider that racing, <laughs> but I'm <laughs> being a power boater. But Derek, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How about you, Jim? Good. And I know sailboats can go really fast, the racing ones, but some, as, we're, as we travel up and down what's called the intercoastal waterway in the East Coast, we occasionally have to slow down and do the old slow pass. But, yeah. but uh, being on the water is awesome, isn't it? It absolutely is. And there's no question. I grew up on motorboats, but sailing and motorboats are two different things. For two sure. different things. And, and it's really two different types of people. Um, Stephanie and I recently celebrated three years on the boat and we've been through uh, over almost approaching 7,000 miles with countless marinas and met tons of people. And it's almost like you can tell who's a power boater and who's a sailboater sometimes, but I don't want to paint with too broad a brushstroke. But so Derek, tell me about yourself. Did you, did you go to school for financing? Is that just, you know, a lot of the guests I talk to, they go to school for engineering or lawyers and they become an entrepreneur. Did, was this always your, your plan to be in this field? Uh, not exactly. You know, I, I grew up and my father was a construction contractor. And so I always felt like I wanted to have my own business. So I got a business degree in college, but I kind of did that because I thought to myself, everything's business, right? And I have a lot of interests. So uh, yeah, business was kind of the, the entry point. And then I, I started in sales because I just knew that if I couldn't communicate effectively, I wasn't going to be able to get anywhere in business. Right. And right. then, and then nature kind of took its course there. And uh, yeah, so I, I was working the corporate grind, like a lot of people working in a cube. And I have to tell you, that was an eye opening experience. I was doing cold calls about 200 of them a day. Oh my gosh. I know I did the math. And uh, in my first three years of working in that type of job, I think I did about 50,000 cold calls. So I got really good on the phone, which was great. Yeah. Um, but I realized that, that that was not the life for me. I felt like a caged tiger. And I thought there's got to be a better way for me to 
to do something with my life where I have a little bit more control of my schedule and I'm not just grinding it so hard day to day and having to reinvent the wheel every single month in a sales job. So, uh, yeah, I started flipping houses at that point. I, I had a construction background because of my father and I thought, God, if I could just live in a house, fix it up, resell it and make, you know, 20 or 30 grand and do that a couple times a year, that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of before all the house flipping shows had come out. Like it, it was called buy, fix and resell back then, not flipping or whatever they call it now. Right. Um, and that turned into a business where I was doing 25 or 30 of those a year for a long time. And then, uh, and, and how the transition happened to where I'm at now was 2008 and nine. Everybody knows those years, right? They were a, a tough Pretty time painful. for a lot of people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, I, I got the trifecta. I had 16 or 17 of those flips going at the time. I was up snowboarding at Mammoth Mountain and got hit by a snowmobile. You're kidding. <laughs> I know. Uh, it wasn't really anybody's fault. I came off of a jump and one of the, the, the guys was coming up the hill on a snowmobile and I basically landed right in front of him. Uh, no way for either of us to really see each other. It was just a total freak thing. Yeah. Bro- broke my femur. And as I was laying in bed with 16 properties, I was paying mortgages on the market crashed and uh, I was in LA. So property there went from houses we were buying for 200 reselling for 300 all of a sudden we're worth 160 within six months oh my yep so that that was rough and i'll tell you if you want to learn about your business go through a time when you're losing money every month because you get really granular what am i doing right what am i doing wrong what's producing results what isn't when you're making fat cat money it's pretty easy to you know kind of look past a lot of that and not pay attention to it so that was my indoctrination into sort of truly being a business person, not just being a salesperson and, and learning that. And I just got really passionate about helping people create freedom in their life and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Uh, I was always a make money on the front end and the rest will take care of itself kind of guy. Um, but now I'm definitely on the other side of, it's not just about how much you make, it's about how much you get to keep and how you get that money working for you. So that's kind of the transition into what we do with wealth strategy these days. Very good. Um, just want to ask you a quick question about the whole LA 08, 09 thing. What, whatever happened, did your home values appreciate? Did you just have to get out or like, what was that? Well, because we were doing a buy, fix and resell model, something that's kind of unique. I mean, this isn't entirely true, but if we're painting with a, a broad brush here, most property in Southern California does not cash flow unless you put a tremendous amount of money down. So turning a lot of those into rentals wasn't really an option. We just ended up selling a lot of them for break even, or in some cases, even a loss. Um, and honestly, it just ended up dra- draining my bank account. I remember writing checks for twenty and $30,000 just to get rid of a property so I could get mm. my investors out. Wow. Yeah, that was tough. So you, then you moved to Utah and started, uh, started your firm, Big Life Financial. Yeah, there, I mean, there was definitely some stops in between where uh, at the end of the 08 thing, I ended up moving to Texas because they don't have the same kind of bubble thing going on there because of oil and gas. Although right. feeling, feeling Always booming in Texas, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they definitely have an insulation blanket. Right now, you know, they're getting their butt kicked, but that's pretty uncommon and I don't expect that will last for, for too, too long. So went there and kind of got on my feet and that's when I kind of got into the the financial services thing and then did a couple of years in Brooklyn and a couple of years in 
San Diego and a stop in in the Washington DC area before we landed here. So crisscrossing the country all the time. So as a wealth strategist, I'm specifically interested in how you work with small business owners because a lot of the ones that I know have worked with and coach, et cetera, have this, I think you, you sort of alluded to it earlier, but generate money, generate money, revenue, revenue, top line dollar. And then, you know, when things are going well, you know, eh, maybe we don't need to go out to, you know, worry about dinner and subscriptions and this and that, everything just as long as you're bringing in enough money. <laughs> but when you go through something like a turndown, like, you know, as you and I are doing this, we're kind of sort of starting to come out of the Corona thing, but, you know, still very much in the heat of it when people have really lost significant amount of revenue. What are some of the things that small business owners can do when, when they face challenges like that? Yeah. So, um, I think it's, it's very important to get aware of, you know, just your cash flow projections, what's money in and what's money out. Because if you don't have those numbers and uh, you'd be amazed how many people don't know what their overhead is per month. Uh, they don't even know what their revenue is. They just look at the bank account and they're like, well, there's enough in there. We can keep doing things. We got a little extra. I guess we can spend it. Uh, that's not super strategic. <laughs> I mean, it works when times are good, like you said. So I would get real clear on your numbers and then, uh, as you and I talked earlier, one of the biggest cash infusions we're seeing right now for, for business owners is looking at your taxes. A lot of business owners are way, way, way overpaying on taxes, and they're also not getting money back that they're entitled to from the IRS. And so specifically what we've seen is we did an audit a couple of years back with a couple hundred clients that, that we'd worked with, and on average, per $100,000 of taxable income, they were overpaying just over $11,000. So, so if somebody you know, made $200,000 a year, they were probably overpaying about $22,000. Now, those are after-tax dollars. So it's a pretty nice chunk of change. And then in addition, one of our specialties is we also help a lot of businesses that qualify to file for um, tax incentives, rebates, and credits. So this is like research and development credits. This is if you're using... Uh, American-based contractors, if you're in the construction world and you're doing anything that uh, is related to green building or you're training employees or in some states even hiring employees, the government will give you back money that you've paid into your taxes. And that could be anywhere from $10,000 over the past couple of years all the way up to, you know, we've had people in the several hundred thousand dollars coming back, even dentists and consultants and these types of people who get a lot of their work qualifies for research and development credits. So it's a fast way over the next three to six months to put money back in a business owner's pockets. It's not going to pay your payroll today, but if you incurred some debt or if you got a little behind, it's, it's one of the fastest, easiest ways we've seen to move the needle for small business owners in the current environment. Why do you think, I mean, it's really intriguing, but why do you think the average CPA type firm um, doesn't do this. They, is it, I mean, they're there to do tax returns, et cetera, maybe, maybe bookkeeping, whatever, but is that just not their mindset? They're just not tuned to look for those kind of deals. Cause that's pretty amazing. I mean, who, who couldn't use 11 or $22,000? Well, you know, CPAs and once again, painting with a broad stroke, right. they're definitely different groups. Cause there's some really incredible CPAs out there. But a lot of times what we see is, uh, there's no feedback for the CPA, right? They go and they do someone's taxes. And it's kind of like when you go to your mechanic and you've got a clunk in your car 
and you go in and there's a clunk and you leave and there's no clunk. You don't know if he just stuck a piece of chewing gum in there or if he did Put the sawdust best. in the radiator, you know, the old, the old thing. <laughs> exactly. Or whether he did the best job in the world and is a world-class mechanical engineer, all you know is it doesn't clunk. So a lot of people, the way that they gauge their, their tax strategy is, well, we didn't pay more than we think we should. Now, what they think they should be paying is a wild guess. And if, you know, it usually feels like too much to most people. So if your CPA got you to where you paid very little in taxes, you think he's great. Maybe you could have done better. Maybe you could have done worse. If, if you're paying a lot in taxes or more than you think you should, you don't think he's so great. Um, so people just don't have any way to gauge whether a tax person's great or not. And one of our rules, this is something people can write down is, it's worth it to have your CPA's uh, tax, your, your taxes reviewed once every three years. Just, just pay a separate CPA uh, for their time to just do a tax review, just a separate set of eyes. There's always rules changing and, and lots of tweaks. And especially since the Trump tax rewrite, right? a lot of people haven't figured out all the little nooks and crannies, right? And there's, it's amazing. There's a bunch of little things that are out there that it's like, oh, this will save you five grand a year. This will save you seven grand a year. This will save you 10 grand a year. Like uh, one, of, one of the most common ones is how you take your income. So a lot of business owners just pay themselves a salary, right? Or they just write themselves a check and that's fine, but that gets classified as, as ordinary income. And just for the record, I'm not a CPA, not giving tax advice, but this is something you can talk to your CPA about. Um, but that's how they're taking all of their income when they could take some of it as distributions and distributions is taxed differently. And bottom line is you don't pay the self-employment tax. So it saves you seven and a half percent. So if a significant chunk of your money could be taken as dividends, that could be a real nice five, 10, $20,000 back in your pocket that you didn't need to be paying. So, so recognizing that you're not a CPA and you should talk to your CPA <laughs> and all yeah. the little qualifiers there, what, what's the split between payroll versus distributions? Is it 50-50, 60-40? Like what, 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 what is recommended? Well, I like to use the common sense approach. There's, there is a way to hire someone to come out and do a study on what is your job and what is you as a business owner, right? Those are two different things. So, if you could hire someone to do your job for $75,000 a year, but you make 125, then theoretically 50 of that is because the business is generating it, right? So that could be taken as, as distributions. And, and ultimately what I've been told, once again, I don't defend audits or anything, but is if you get audited, they're gonna look at it and they're gonna say, is the part you're taking as salary consistent with what it would take to do your job? And then if there's more over and above that, or are there things that don't run through your hands, a lot of that can fall into the category of, of uh, distributions. So gotcha. that's just a, a general rule of thumb. It changes a little bit. There are some industry standards from industry to industry. So yeah, but that's just an easy way to think about it and something to talk to your CPA about if you're not doing that already. Yeah. Derek, what, what do you think is the biggest financial mistake that you see small business owners making besides paying too much taxes? <laughs> yeah, well, that's definitely a big one um, and totally unnecessary. I, th I think the biggest thing is a lot of business, small business owners, as they get bigger, they fix this. That's probably why they get bigger. Uh, they're just not 
tracking and paying attention to their numbers and they don't have systems in place in the areas that they really need to create consistency. So what I mean by that is like, like I said, a lot of them might know their top uh, line numbers, but they don't know their costs. They don't know how effective their marketing's being. They don't know is our overhead or is our, what we're paying out to, uh, to our team in salaries, is that consistent with what a successful business in our industry looks like, right? So we see a lot of them just totally unaware of cash in, cash out, what costs are, what's working, what isn't. They just know that it's working well enough that they can pay their bills and maybe save some money. Um, and the other big thing is I just see most of them reinvesting in their business all the time and not saving anything. Now, I will say, and, and as I've looked at some of your stuff, Jim, I know that you believe absolutely that you have to spend money and invest into your business. And I would agree with that 1000%. But I also think that you need to take a couple of chips off the table every time you make a dollar. Take 10 to 20% of what you make and set it aside and build up your savings accounts, your investment accounts, your growth accounts. So that would be... Um, First, building up an emergency fund, both personally and what we call a war chest for the business, right? Having that for things like what's going on right now in the economy, a lot of people who didn't have cash are in big trouble, right? They're having to make bad decisions, make unnecessary costs, uh, cost cuts, and, and those could cost them big time long-term. So the idea here is um, set aside money for a rainy day. And then once you have enough of a rainy day fund or an emergency fund, then start putting the money in a place, and this is one of our specialties, putting the money in a place where it's accessible for you and the business if you need it, but also can grow consistently for you in a predictable way that's safe so that you know that every single year you, as you save and as that money grows, you get wealthier. Um, I, th I don't know if I saw on your website or somewhere I was doing a little uh, pre-interview research. You thought you said something like the stock market's broken. What do you mean by that? Well, a couple, there's a couple of ways to look at that. The first one is I think people should invest in things that they know about, that they care about, and they control. And unfortunately, for most people, like Wall Street isn't any of those things. If I, if I ask the average person, how much do you know about Wall Street or the stock market or wherever your money's invested, I get on a scale of 1 to 10, I get somewhere between 1 and 5 for most people. And if you're in that world um, and you don't have any control and you don't understand, it's very disempowering, especially for business owners. And if you're doing it through 401ks or IRAs, you don't even have access to that money without penalties in most cases. I mean, you can jump through some hoops and take loans on a certain portion of it and some of those kinds of things, but, but it's very difficult to access. And as a business owner, as you probably know, like cash flow is like the oxygen of your business. If you don't have it, things get real uncomfortable real fast. So we think um, having access to your cash is big. And so for a business owner who doesn't understand the stock market very well, I just think that it's, it's, a, it's a rigged game where they're set up to lose. And also the volatility of the whole thing. What people don't often realize is, of course, people know there's market cycles, right? The market goes up for a while and then we have a correction and then it goes up for a while and then we have a correction if you kind of zoom in and look at the stock market charts, you'll see that. But where those correction happen, corrections happen really matters to you, especially in terms of retirement. Um, if you're going to rely on that nest egg in some way, shape or form, 
because if the market crash happens a couple of years right before you retire and you don't have a chance for that to recover before you have to start taking it as income, that can really handicap your, your retirement spending. On the flip side of that, if it happens within a couple of years after you retire, there's a crash, you already have to take that income. So you have to pull the money out while the stock market's low and it can really cripple your ability to make that thing work for you long-term. And so the only way around that is you have to take out a very small amount of money from, from the stock market. The benchmark is somewhere between three and 4% of your principal in order to make it so that statistically you'll be able to out, outlive or your money will outlive you, right? So you don't run out. Right. So if you've got a million dollars in there, that's only thirty to $40,000 less taxes that you're getting out of that. For me, that's not a winning game for most people. They just can't save enough to live the lifestyle that they were used to. Um, I think I'm looking at my clock. I got about three minutes here, Derek. I'm wondering if I can ask one more question. You know, sure. a lot of small business owners, myself included, um, have 401ks, company matches, things like that. Is, mm-hmm. is that still a good way to do it, 401ks, or is there something uh, you think is smarter to look at? Well, the big thing with the 401k for most people is if you're an employee, you do get a match. But if you're the employer, you're just matching your own money. Right. So I don't know if that piece makes a lot of sense for a business owner. Um, I, I teach a system called cash flow banking where you can get the same similar type of growth that you would get in a 401k or an IRA, but you can also be liquid with your cash, not have it kind of wrapped up in, in something and where you don't have the volatility. So uh, I, I don't really love 401ks. I like IRAs better than 401ks because you can do self-directed and some other things. But ultimately, I think if you're a business owner, I would look at some other, other alternatives of where to build up your cash. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, got a, a really informative interview, Derek. Um, I'm sure people want to w- wish I would continue, <laughs> but can't do that. How can people connect with you and learn more from you? I don't know if do you have a book or give me some, uh, give me the 411 info. Well, so we do give away a book on our, uh, on our website, biglifefinancial.com that talks about the, uh, the cash flow banking strategy I was talking about, which might be an alternative to a 401k or an IRA, uh, book, book, super informative. And we also do give away a free tax assessment. If people want to get the once over on, are there some big opportunities with my taxes and you can actually sign up for that at tax.biglifefinancial.com. Those would be two easy ways to engage with us. Okay, cool. So the main website is biglifefinancial.com. That's, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, Derek, thanks so much for uh, coming on my uh, program today. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Loved it, Jim, and uh, love the stuff you're doing. Wonderful. Thanks. And maybe I'll see you out there on a sailboat. And I promise not to leave too big a wake if I do. I appreciate that. (laughs) Okay. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with Derek Van Ness from biglifefinancial.com. Check him out. Sounds like a pretty sharp dude. Anyway, uh, I'm Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach. You can connect with me at getjimpalmer.com and a whole bunch of places online, social media, et cetera. But uh, until this time next week, another fantastic interview. You take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. 
sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.